Alright, well 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and before we begin tonight, I like to usually pose a question and, and to hear your experiences, okay? So, um, the first question that I have as our one of our shepherds walks in <laughs> is, how many of you have been to a Pentecostal church? Oh, Ken, okay, so good, perfect timing. Any, have any of you been to a charismatic church before? Okay, just, okay, three, three, Does four. Does it count when you live, when you can look across the fence into the room? No, no, it doesn't count. You have to be in the assembly, okay? When they brought the horse in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll define what a charismatic church is, or a Pentecostal, Assemblies of God, uh, Church of God in Christ. Basically, they're uh, churches that believe in the manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So they speak in tongues. They do healings. They have faith healings. Uh, they prophesy. Uh, so that's that's a charismatic uh, church. Okay. They handle snakes in Southeast Arkansas. They still actually handle snakes in some churches. They fall out in the in the aisles in the hallways. So they go into trances. They go into trances. Yeah. So for those of you who have been to charismatic churches, I'd love to hear your experience and what you thought of the assembly. You haven't tried. Okay, okay. Well, so so I'll start off with my experience. I've been to two charismatic churches, okay? One, I was just being a rebel in college. You know, I'm a good Church of Christ boy. You saw my family, right? You know how I grew up. And I just wanted to experience something different to see what, what, what the whole fuss is about, right? Because I'm in um, uh, southeast Arkansas where there's a Church of Christ on every single corner, literally, um, in the town of Searcy, I think there are 15 different churches of Christ. And Searcy is about 3,000 folk, right? <laughs> and that's probably all college students. I mean, it's that small and there's churches everywhere. But then they have these small little community-based churches. So I went into uh, one Wednesday night, I went into the full gospel house. And that's what the name of the church was. And it was a church, really small, maybe about 50 people. And I walk in and they have a praise band. And right when I walk in, um, a lady came up to me. She said, hey, do you want to play on our praise band tonight? I said, okay. I, you know, so I just went up there and I got to play the drums while she was uh, singing Just As I Am, playing on the piano. And it was so awkward to me. Um, but then they had a time for healing. So they had a line and you were supposed to get in line and people would put their hands on you so that they can give you the spirit. So I got in line. Yeah, the drums yeah actually I was. <laughs> so... So we got in this line and the, uh, there was people on each side of us putting their hands on us and praying over us and people were catching the spirit left and right. So they would catch the spirit and then they just break out and dance and she would play the, the, the uh, what was the organ and people were dancing and jumping around and like five people were praying on me. And I was really trying to catch the spirit, right? I don't know what it meant, but I was trying to get it and it never came to me. So they just kept praying, kept praying. So eventually I had to pretend a little bit. So this is this is my experience. So yeah, I really wanted to go and this service was really, really long. It was a Wednesday night. I had studies to do back at Harding. So I kind of said, oh yeah, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it, you know. And, and uh, I make fun of all that, but I'm just sharing with you my experience. I, if you've ever been in an environment like that, you know, it's it's a different feel. It's high, high emotion, really high energy. You feel like at points people are kind of out of control just a little bit. You do see people fall out in the aisles, literally. They faint. Someone has to catch them. Um, so that was 
kind of my experience. Any other, did I hit it on the head? Do you guys experience a similar thing? Or is that just, maybe you didn't participate like I did, but. Well, I, I, I um, was, I was actually in my uh, early 20s when I lived in. Um, <laughs> 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 um, and I was at the Royal Church of Christ at the time in mm -hmm. Los Angeles, and that's all that I have ever had ever known. And, and, and I mentioned before that I grew up in a very strict, you know, conservative mm -hmm. Christ home. Mm -hmm. So um, I ended up going with a friend. And my auntie was the type, if you're not at Bible study on Sunday morning, Sunday night, yeah. and, <laughs> and in the Church of Christ, then you didn't go to church. Exactly, exactly. So I went to church with my friend. I didn't know what to expect. It was something in Church of God or something. Yeah, Kojic. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember being very frightened. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was actually pretty to watch people fall out yeah. and kind of lose control of themselves. Mm -hmm. I've never experienced that before. Yeah. And plus I'm a country girl too. <laughs> 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 and, and, um, and I, I actually began to cry and I wanted to go home and I could not even have a ride. It was just <laughs> <laughs> very <laughs> Mm -hmm. over and over. There really wasn't like a lesson from the pulpit. Yeah. My Bible wasn't really used except for like taking like maybe one line of description and just going with that all yeah. the whole time. Yeah. It's, and that's a that's a, a word, traumatic, scary. Um, um, all of these uh, descriptive words come to mind when you experience um, something like this. Living in Memphis, next door to my our grandmother was the um, daughter of the founding bishop of the Church of Christ. So and everything, and so they had they used to have a convocation mm -hmm. um, in Memphis. And so um, when I met my husband, since he used to sing with the gospel group, and Vernon, who we prayed for quite a bit, my, my best friend um, actually was recording had opportunity recording stuff with them. His voice was magnificent, so. They have the midnight events, and they have like I've never seen the two armed guitars. Stuff. <laughs> and they start playing the midnight, and you look around, and it's to me, it was like people were tap dancing, but not quite tap. It was mm -hmm. almost like that Scottish, you know, that PBS, and people were throwing their hats and dancing. So I looked around, my husband was run down, and everybody <laughs> was dancing. They were, I'm not him talking at all, but the bishop and Friday is just late at night for me, and it's just I, I'm Church of Christ, so you know I, I didn't I didn't go, but they used to go almost every year mm -hmm. and sing and have a good time. But they didn't call it talking and tell us, but they do lay hands. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you go to the hospital, um, Church of God in Christ, they bring healing oil, and and they bless the water and the elders lay hands on mm -hmm. them. That is true. Mm -hmm. I wasn't traumatized. I just thought I'm not standing up at twelve o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> singers come and she get to you know dance and then yeah. stuff. <laughs> I never been. I grew up Church of Christ. It's the first time to have my husband. But it, you know, like you said, you know, for me it wasn't that. It's just me. I'm not up to anybody that <laughs> You know, I, I say all that and I pose that question because from that experience, I learned so much about my faith and my understanding of Scripture. 
because I was exposed to something totally different, right? You hear about it from the pulpit, you know, what they do over there. But until you experience it, 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 it you know, you don't really have a full grasp of it. So, so tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're talking about some of these things. And the first thing that we really get to see is this idea of, of speaking in tongues. And if you've ever seen someone do that live, I say live, live or actually in front of you, it's 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 a it's it's an interesting process. So I want to look at some of this and look at some prophecy language and see what scripture has to say about all this, because this charismatic movement is still very, very alive today. If you drive is on the 405 or five, um, you see the TBN uh, building that this. Yeah. Is it the 405? And, yeah. 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 Trinity broadcast It's still a very big, big movement. In America, and as a matter of fact, if you think about the restoration movement, the charismatic movement within the restoration movement was humongous, humongous, humongous. So, so how do we process all of this? Well, here's where we get in 1 Corinthians 14, and we start learning about some of this stuff um, that will hopefully provide us with clarity and help us to understand some things on, on why this is or why this isn't um, the case. So if somebody could read the first, uh, let's see, the first... Five verses of chapter 14. That'd be great. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Thank you, Bill. So there's a couple of things that I want to point out uh, as we get through here. And, and the first thing that Paul says that jumps out to me is that we should be desiring spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. Question that I have for you is, should we still be desiring that, that gift? Or is this one of these verses in part B of verse number one that we kind of go, well, this doesn't apply to us today, therefore we put it aside. Just what is your, what is your thought about that? Yeah, Ken. We still have prophets today. Mm-hmm. Right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about people who have the ability to mm -hmm. have God's word, you know, the word from God mm -hmm. miraculously, mm -hmm. and we still have the word of God miraculously. It's right here. Right, exactly. Now, I'm not the one doing it, but like I said last week, is that you know, God's giving me different gifts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Spot on. Spot on. And if this is the prophecy today, don't we speak this to people? Yeah. So I think we can still eagerly desire this gift of prophecy, but maybe in a different context. Maybe we pray that we understand this Bible, this, this word better, and that when God gives us an opportunity to share this prophecy with people, that we would have the courage to do that. So I don't have a problem with this verse right here, and I think it's something that we should desire, and we should eagerly strive to obtain, and that's why we're in Bible class tonight, to learn and to grow and to digest this and have a good handle on this. So when it comes to our chance to prophesy, not of our own, but through the word, we'll be able to do that. So I think this is one of these passages that we can still hang on to. Yeah, I think like in Ephesians 4, 
which I'm really enamored with. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, where it says that, you know, Christ takes him just to the church. He gets some prophets, you know, so so mm -hmm. Obviously, he still had those, but the ones that he gave to the individual church are, you know, uh, elders and teachers mm -hmm. and ministers and, you know, and, and it's interesting that the ongoing church, he seems to say in Ephesians 4, is those people that are the teachers, the the you know, the preacher mm -hmm. and the elders mm -hmm. are there to build up the church and help strengthen it yeah. and grow, build itself up and yeah. up. But it's interesting that he separates the prophets from the ongoing daily mm -hmm. work of the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if the Ephesians 4 text is so, so powerful. And I love how our shepherds always have that on their tongue. Every time it's not to done or to get, they always mention it. It's just a powerful text. And guess what? We're going to do a series on that starting Sunday. So it's going to be really, really so commercial break. All right. So um, let's continue on. So verse number two, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but speaks to God. You know, our charismatic friends, this is a verse that they use for support of their ability to speak in tongues. Right. Because if you've ever heard speaking in tongues, it does sound like gibberish. It really, really does. Today, speaking in tongues sounds like gibberish. And you'll say to that person, and I've had conversations because I've had Pentecostal friends, went to Fuller Theological with them. And I say, what you just said doesn't sound like any kind of language that I heard. And they say, it's, it's a spiritual language that is only between me and God that God understands. So that's their motivation for having kind of this gibberish language. They say, you're not supposed to understand it. It's a spiritual language that's between me and God, right? But this text then hits it right on the head and it says, well, no one understands what you say. And then it goes on to, to spell out uh, how this spiritual language, uh, that, that might not necessarily be the case. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to define what a tongue is. When we say tongues, what are tongues? Languages. Languages, right? Languages across the world. Intelligible languages with vowels and consonants and they're, they're not made up spiritual languages. They're real, real languages. So if you hear somebody, I don't know, I've never heard that language, you know, most of the times it's gibberish, something that they're just making up through emotion and things of that nature. My experience from looking across the fence into the... <laughs> Was they kind of get all caught up in a trance like, mm -hmm. and and they're just they're out of they're just out of their body. Yeah, yeah. It's an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a spot on. Yeah. Um, I born and raised in the Church of Christ too, and this is how it's always been um, explained to me. But it still leaves me with question though, because it's because it's I mean, language, universal mm -hmm. language. Somebody understands it. Mm -hmm. It says nobody. No one understands it. Exactly. So how can it be exactly. a language? Exactly. And, and, and it's going to get clearer as we continue on in the text. So that answer, that question is going to be answered as we continue on. But spot on, because that's what most charismatic people say. Look, Scripture says right here, it's a, it's a, it's a language, it's a mystery that no one understands but him. So how can you say that my gibberish is not a real right. language when it can be an angelic language right so that's the the, the, the um, support that they use so let's continue on and that answer will become clear I think Bill the, the, you know we're told that uh, sometimes if we we can't even express our prayers that the spirit will intercede for us right which I don't know that there's a connection but it's similar anyway 
they will say it's a connection. Yeah. Most Pentecostals and charismatic folk will say there's a connection there. So just I want you to hear those, uh, those underlying themes, and then we'll continue on the text. So um, as we read through this, it said, you know, when you prophesy, it's basically edifying yourself. Well, how so? How is it edifying yourself when you prophesy? How is it not edifying the church? Well, if you're prophesying and people don't understand what you're saying, how is that edifying anybody? And if you're speaking in real tongues and this is a real gift that you have and you actually understand what you're saying, then you can say, okay, God's explaining something through this gift that he has given me and I understand what's going on. So that's why this text says you edify yourself when you do that, but it's not edifying the church. And then it'll Continue on and it's still some things. Builds up, builds himself up. Yeah, builds himself so up. That makes it sound like it just makes him feel good right. because he's got something yeah. that you don't have. Yeah, that's maybe another way to interpret that text, right? Maybe another way. The way I view it is a little different, but I think that's still spot on. Um, I think it's in terms of knowledge. So he knows what he's saying, so he can be encouraged to, you know, that 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 gift of speaking in tongues. But anyway, let's continue on. Uh, he said, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Why? Because prophecy edifies the entire church. And then it goes on to say, uh, greater is the one who speaks, or where is it? Um, he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in, in tongues unless he interprets. So we see here that when you see the, 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 the use of tongues, there, there must be an interpreter in the local church context, right? To be able to explain. Classic example, I went to South Africa. <clears throat> I've been to South Africa twice, one in Johannesburg, the other time in Kailicha. Uh, and we were there and I actually had to use an interpreter during the service that I preached at. And it was really neat. If you've ever, I'm, I'm sure many of you have seen that before because we practice that a little bit in the church where maybe we'll have one of our, our, our Spanish ministers speak in Spanish and then someone interprets it. It's a long drawn out process. So my sermon was the longest sermon I've ever preached. That uh, It must have been an hour and a half. Two, it was two sermons. It was two sermons, right? Because I would say something and I would have to say it slow so the interpreter can translate it and spit it out. So I would tell a joke and I have to wait about two, three minutes for people to laugh and then, you know, so it was a long, a long process. But an interpreter was present so it edified the entire church, right? <clears throat> All right, so let's continue on. Uh, someone get verses 6 through 12. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I do to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge of prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or heart, how will anyone know what tune is being played with a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, we will get ready for battle. So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue. How will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Perfect. Himself, or he's setting up an argument, one of the two, right? And I, I believe it's the second of that, right? He's setting up this argument to say that when you hear the gibberish, if you've ever heard it, and that's probably such a strong, you know, um, bad way to describe it. If there was a Pentecostal amongst our midst, they would probably be offended by well, me saying that. it's probably garbled, just garbled. Well, <laughs> I don't know if that's any better, Mary, but you know the, the point that I'm trying to get to. The, 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 that's what it sounds like, right? So, but 
Paul debunks all of that and says every language has meaning. All the languages in the world today have meaning. And I don't even think we've discovered all the languages in the world today, right? I don't know if we have. In certain continents or countries in Africa, there's thousands of languages, right? The Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, right? Well, yeah, there was this story of the woman that was held in an, and a mental institution in New York for mm -hmm. nine years. They thought she was just loony. Mm -hmm. And when some really remote language, somebody that spoke it, heard her, and it was a, mm -hmm. it was a, an African language mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't crazy. She mm -hmm. just, nobody could understand her. Yeah, yeah. So I think that just illustrates the depth of, of, of you know, um, of language, right? So if you go to these charismatic uh, worship assemblies and you see uh, the spiritual talk that they're doing and there is not an interpreter present to interpret what's going on, you know that's not right. Period. You can't just be in there and catch the Holy Spirit and just start whatever, whatever they do. And nobody, the scripture says be quiet. Be quiet. So we know that is error, right? Now, I've, I've had some friends that say, well, when we do our uh, assemblies and someone gets the spirit and starts speaking in tongues, we do have an interpreter present. I've heard that argument as well. All right. So my friend, we were going back and forth with, they were like, that's not how it works in my church. We follow the scripture. So someone is speaking tongue and somebody will be there to interpret. And I go, okay. So that's another way that the Pentecostals kind of get around that argument. Well, we do have an interpreter and this is what the person who is speaking in tongues is, is saying. Right. Okay. So. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But we're going to further kind of debunk that whole idea as well as, as, the, as the text continues on. OK, not to pick on the charismatics, but just to bring the light and help us to understand some things to this text. OK, so um, what else do I want to say here? Oh, the other thing that I want to pull out is the section that kind of uh, hits where we are. Verse number seven. I've heard this used uh, as a way to defend our use of or our, our worship style of acapella worship. Have you heard this text used before in context of that? Um, so this is just totally off tangent, but I just want to bring it up because it jumped out to me. Um, one of the things that we say is that scripture says in uh, Ephesians, what is it, 519? Speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody where? In your hearts to the Lord, right? So we say God wants our hearts, people with hearts to praise him. It's the heart that matters, right? And I've heard this text used, these verses used in verse number seven and eight to say that when we use an instrument, the instrument doesn't have a heart, right? It's not a li living, breathing being. You've never heard that before? This is the way I grew up. I must have grown up, in, but I grew up in Southeast Georgia, so you know, maybe it's a little different out there. But the reason why we don't use instruments is because there's no heart, the, the harp doesn't have a heart. The drum doesn't have a heart. God wants things that have hearts to be able to, to praise him. So that's just one of those things. If you never heard that, there you go. Uh, ask Ed Bush, because we grew up with the same. <laughs> so, so, because um, I've heard that used in a couple of ser uh, sermon examples before, and I thought it was. Yeah. I'm not sure how that. Yeah, it doesn't have a soul, doesn't have a heart, so how can it. Uh, praise God. So that's just one of the arguments that they use. I figured I'd just throw out to you so you hear that before. All right. So let's continue on. Um, I'm, I'm going rather quickly, but I'm doing that on purpose because there's some conversation pieces uh, that we're going to be having uh, here shortly. So if someone can start at verses, uh, if somebody can read verses 13 through 17, that'd be great. 
Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the spirit, and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the spirit, and I shall sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen that you're giving of thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? For you are giving, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Very good, thank you. So I think in this whole section of scripture, what we're hearing is that again the Holy Spirit is not subjective. The Holy Spirit that we have within us is designed to edify uh, the church, right? It's not there to edify ourselves or to build ourselves up, right? It's not subjective. You can't just say, I have a word from the Lord. He put it on my spirit, you know, and this is what he said. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It causes confusion and it's troubling at times. So, uh, and that's why the gift of prophecy was more welcomed than the gift of, of speaking in tongues. Now, do you remember where we saw the first example of speaking in tongues in the Bible? Do you guys remember the first example? I, can't find, I, I know when they, but. There were people there that understood the language. It, that's my whole point. So that's where I'm going to. Do you guys remember where that is in Scripture? It's in. It's where they spoke. You guys know it. We're good Church Christ folk now. Where is that? Everybody heard their heard the speech in their own language. Acts what? What? We we need to repent. Acts two thirty eight. You, you guys don't remember Acts chapter two, <laughs> one and two uh, on the day of Pentecost. You guys don't remember when they were up in the upper room praying and cloven tongues of fire came and put it was on side of them and then they went outside and they began to preach the word and people there were there for uh, what was it the the I think it, it was the day of Pentecost. So there's a Jewish celebration there and uh, they were all gathered there at the at the temple to worship right so the apostles and what's interesting is in that upper room here's one of the arguments that we use and just going off on a tangent again because I just like studying stuff like this one of the things that we say is that women didn't have the gift of, of prophesying right and and the people who got the miraculous gifts of the spirit were the apostles and that were that was it and the only way the apostles were able to transfer that power was by laying on of hands you've heard that argument right you heard that argument but i think that argument is incorrect right because we read next two who was in the upper room men and women and then we get to this intertestamental echo right in Isaiah where it says in the last days I'll pour my spirit on men and women and they will prophesy and dream dreams and have visions so on the day of Pentecost remember Holy Spirit came and then they were speaking a language and then all the foreigners that were there to worship heard in their own language so we see again it's a language that people understand for the purpose of furthering the gospel that's that's the that's the purpose for tongues so uh it's 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 designed to help bring people to christ right it's well, designed for non-christian people, people unbelievers in those what what they consider tongues mm -hmm. It's not edifying. It's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Mary Vaughn, Mary Vaughn. Well, I mean, the person that can't understand it cannot get any peace from that. That's true. That's so true. when you discuss that with them, they say, well, you don't understand because you don't have... Yeah, you don't have the gift, right? And it's a language between me and God anyway, so I don't care if you understand, right? So there's a lot of misconceptions about that. It's Mary Vaughn, Mary Vaughn. You aren't converting any Pentecostal folk, obviously, that I'm just messing with. Uh, but anyway, what we say all that to say, we see all the confusion surrounding and involved in this, but the scripture is very, very clear. It's plain and simple to understand, right? And it's, it's, it's so clear, and we see examples looking at Acts chapter 2, how it worked. Holy Spirit came, they were able to speak in tongues, and many people were baptized that day, right? Peter got up and preached, 3,000 people were baptized, right? Plus. Um, so, just to spell all out, so we see the function of being able to speak in tongues. It's for the purpose to edify unbelievers to bring them to Christ. But what we see in these Pentecostal assemblies is usually there to edify the church folk and to show them that you know something powerful is, is going on, but that's not the correct use. Um, so, but anyway, and uh, I just spell that out to, to bring some clarity. And then we get to verse, uh, uh, verse number 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And what's so interesting is, if you're ever with any charismatic groups, they always talk about the gift of speaking in tongues. Like, you can't speak in tongues? You can't speak? Like, it's the best thing to have, right? But Scripture says that's not the best gift. I mean, how about the gift of prophet? That would be better than being able to speak in tongues, right? But they always, if you notice, if you ever spend time with people that are charismatic, yeah, I speak in tongues. Do you speak in tongues? Well, you're just not open to it. That's why you can't speak in tongues. That's what they say. So, but anyway... Verse number 20, brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. And as we go back up, I want to look at verse number 14 and 15 one more time because it says something powerful that I just breezed through. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my mind, right? I think the reason why we're probably all members of the Church of Christ, because when we read scripture and we hear the preachers preach, they help us to understand with our minds how all this fits, right? God gives us our minds to be able to process things. It's not just an experience of emotion, of uncontrolled emotion. It gives us our minds to be able to process and to see how things, and that's why the text goes, uh, what is it? Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, study to show thyself approved, workmen that need to not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth or studying, the, being able to process the word in a way that makes sense, that makes sense in our minds, right? So it's not this just an explosion of emotions and spiritual uncontrol that we can't do anything with, but it's intelligent, right? It, it's, you have to use your mind to process it and to understand it. And that's why we love the churches of Christ so much. Because we explain the word in a pure and simple way that makes sense, right? And when you do that and you leave church, you take that with you and you're thinking about all exactly. that as it applies to your life. Exactly. Whereas in tongues, yeah. you're still going, huh? Yeah, yeah. How does that? <laughs> so in here, when they're speaking in tongues, they're speaking a language to minister yeah. to people. Yeah. So wouldn't, um, if they're, you know, 10,000 words in a tongue, wouldn't they be intelligible words since they're ministering? You, you would think, but you hit, you hit on, I'm going to take you in a different direction. Uh, the speaking in tongues was for the purpose of converting the unbelievers. And we're going to get to that as it comes up again, because you're, you're ahead of the power curve with asking your questions, right? So we're going to hit on that. 
Um, but you're going to see the purpose of being able to speak in tongues, right? And the purpose is, is to convert unbelievers. So we're going to get to that, and hopefully it will answer it, and then we'll come back around. So, um, and, here, and here we go. It's already on verse number uh, 22. But let me get there. Brothers, stop thinking like children. And then verse number 21. In the law it is written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even they will not listen to me. And then he gets to verse number 22. Tongues then. What are the purpose? What's the purpose of tongues? are a sign for, not for believers, but for unbelievers. So the question then is, if we have a worship assembly or a gathering, and everybody in there, and, and you know, churches usually, people know everybody, right? So you know if people are believers in there, if they're part of the church roll books, right? But yet you're still speaking in tongues. How does that, because it says the definition or the purpose of speaking in tongues is for the unbeliever, why? So that they can hear the message in a language that they understand and be able to process the word of God and become Christian. Okay? Does that make sense a little bit? Okay? So let's continue on. If somebody can get verses uh, 23 through 25. 23 through 25. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad that if all prophecy Mary <laughs> and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters he is convicted by all he is called to account by all the secrets of the heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God declaring that God is certainly among you yeah that 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 text there is so so powerful and I think it'll answer a little bit of Devet's question and if we don't hit it all just just mention it again but verse number um, 24 but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his hearts will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God explaining God is really among you what I love about this text is um, this sounds bad uh, because it's not popular with our culture. One of the things that we have to do in order to convert people is to convince them that they are living in sin. Do you understand why that's a problem today? Because that's not politically correct. Nobody sins. That's why. No, nobody sins today anymore, right? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, relativism, right? How are you going to call what I'm doing sin, right? So we have a challenge. The church has a challenge today. How do we convince people of their sin, right? We know how we used to be able to do it. You know, in, in olden days, I think there was still, it sounds bad because not much has changed in the world. There's always been a, a terrible moral compass, right? But I, in my, you know, I'm 34 but I remember when I was in high school, some of the television shows that I would see on TV that were considered really, really bad now, now are just like, you know, cartoons, right? Or so forth and so on, right? Things have just gotten worse and worse in the media and, and culturally. And there's nothing new on in the sun, of course. My dad preached something on a Sunday. But it seems like it's at warp speed right now. Yeah, it was, it, yeah. because I think it's the advancement of media. I think Mike would probably agree with that, too. With the advancement of media, things are just information to just spread so quickly, and it gets farther and wider, and now people are exposed to things, and they become callous, and now sin is not really sin. So the question is, how do we convince people of sin when they don't think they're in sin? 
How, how do you do that? And that's the challenge of the church. How do we do that? How do we let it? Because in the olden times, we can tell people that's not right. Right? And like my grandpa's generation, he would say shacking up is not right. And people would go, that's right. We know it's not right. Right? Right, right. Today, there is no shame at all. None at all. That's just what people do. And the list goes on of things that, you know, maybe 50 years ago, you can say, you know, that was definitely wrong. You shouldn't do that. But today, especially with this, you know, millennial generation, how do you convince them of that, right? And that's the challenge. And that's the question I have for you. How do we do that? How do we do that, Ken? So, you know, a long time ago, I mean, over here from when I sound like my dad, you know, mm -hmm. 30 years ago, 30, 35 years ago, whatever, I'd sit down and I would have a Bible study with somebody, and we would start from a from kind of a common belief in God. Mm -hmm. They already believed in Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of whether they're going yeah. to go into church across town or going to start to get baptized or coming with us. Right, that right. Was, that was the discussion. So I'm having a, a Bible study with a friend of mine, and he's never darkened the church door in his entire life. Mm -hmm. Well, see, that's not the exception as it was 30 years ago. That's the rule. Right, right. So we had a Victor Barbix. Uh, who we support as a congregation. I've known the guy since he was 19. Mm -hmm. He came here one time and he, he said, you know, why is it that the, in Acts chapter 2, that they baptized 3,000 people in one day and we're lucky to baptize three in a month or a year, <laughs> year. whatever, right? And he said because he was, he was preaching in Jerusalem where they had 2,000 years of preparation for that Acts mm -hmm. 2 verse that you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. They were living in Jerusalem, but when Paul went to Athens, it's a different story, right? You know, because he said, what we have to understand, I thought this was just amazing mm -hmm. concept, is that we don't live in Jerusalem anymore in this country. Right. We live in Athens. Right, right. So I sat down with this guy, right, and we never darkened the church door. And so I'm going, I'm going through and we're studying and I'm and he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. He says, what's, what's, uh, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> right. You know, and so what we have to do with people today, because, you, because there is no moral compass, right. that's because they have no moral foundation. Right, right, right. We have to go back and we have to do what Paul did in Athens, and he went back to the very beginning. And it's interesting what he did when they... That, you know, we started to see, I see all these gods that, you know, these idols, you know, there's this unknown God. Let me tell you about him. He starts that creation and begins from yeah. Yeah. forward from yeah. that one. We have to go back to the beginning exactly. of the people and lay this foundation with them. Spot and on. And it's hard work. Spot on. It's hard work, but that's what we have to do with people today. Spot on. Spot on. Yeah, do it. I think, too, um, nobody likes to be made wrong. Yeah. And so when you take the approach of wrong I'm wrong now. first, yeah. let me tell you how, how wrong I Thank am. You. Thank you. Then they're more open to hear because yeah. then they can't deny it because you're acknowledging. You're not saying you're wrong and I'm right and now let's talk about you and your sin. You're saying I'm just as dirty as you are so let's yeah. get each other by the arm and let's walk to the cross which is the only thing you But did you hear what you guys said? All right. The thing that you didn't say but you are doing is this word that we have to work on. Inclusion. Right? Because I guarantee Ken didn't start with a Bible study. He didn't say, hey, we're friends now, let's have Bible study. Friends, right? Right? And to vet with the same thing, let's take down all those walls and let's 
look, I'm going through things in my life too, and how about we just, you know, become friends and, and become inclusive with each other. And then there may be a time where we can get into that Bible study piece, right? And have to take it from, you know, because if you go in the South, Georgia, you can just, you can drop a Bible on the ground and the church will pop up, right? I mean, so there's certain parts of the country, right? Right, right, exactly. With a steeple on and everything, right? You know, we are in Southern California, the Mecca, right? Besides maybe New York. So we have to rethink our approach, right? One of the things that they had back in this time period, second, third centuries, is they had the gift of speaking in tongues, right? So if I'm an unbeliever and I, I'm a pagan and I don't believe in the Lord and you speak in a completely different language than I do and then all of a sudden I hear you just bam, start speaking my language, that automatically gets my attention. And then I'm able to hear what you're saying and going, wow, I'm noticing the power of the Spirit through the gift of speaking in tongues and in that you're prophesying to me and then the scripture says that they are convinced that they're sinners uh, through, that, through that process. So we see how speaking in tongues was used then to convict and, and to shock people into, wow, I can really hear this now, right? And I think the way that we cause sinners or unbelievers to hear is through the process of inclusion, right? Um, and I think that's something that all churches need to work on. You know, I can talk about ours uh, all day, but I think all churches need to work on that. But we have, we have a tough job ahead of ourselves, right? Um, you know, because when people who are unbelievers come into this place, do they feel welcomed or do they feel like they just kind of don't fit, right? And how do we help with that? One of the things our shepherds are doing is a great job inviting them to lunch, giving them a call, saying let's hang out. And I think that goes um, well above and beyond the call of duty and really blesses people and makes them feel included. But well, inclusion is the key. Yeah, we all should be doing this. Spot on, y'all. We all should be We're doing all this. We're all told so. to be hospitable. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because I felt so badly in all these years that I've been Southern California. Can't help anybody. Yeah. Yeah. They're not interested. No. They're all somewhere else and they don't have any background. Yeah. And every place else I've ever been, people have been interested. Yeah. No. No, no. Well, here, here, you know, I, it's interesting because I hear people say, well, people just don't have any spiritual bones about this. Mm -hmm. There's no, no foundation. They, they're not interested. Right. But if you go look down the street, back up that way, there's a church on that corner. That's cool. <laughs> right, there. right. And if I drive over to South, the big South mm -hmm. City, mm -hmm. city. Right, there's about 40,000 right, people right, there. Right. And then they're saying, there's the Orange County Church of Christ mm -hmm. that's baptizing people for the same reason yeah. we do. They come out of that Boston, Los yeah. Angeles yeah. movement. Yeah. But they, they got a thousand yeah. members over there yeah. that they baptize for the same reason we baptize yeah. people for. So is it a problem that people aren't interested or is it a problem we're not interested in talking to? Mm -hmm. And maybe one of the reasons why, yeah, no, that's maybe one of the reasons why we're not interested in talking is because of just what you mentioned. You know, it seems like they are just not receptive to it. But I would say maybe we need to just rethink our strategy because I think that's true partly. People are not receptive, but I do believe what Ken said. There's seekers everywhere. And I think we have to rethink our approach because a lot of times we would start with the Bible. Here's the Bible, right? Well, let, let, me, let me back on what you said. We argued this out of the fence what you just said, too. Jesus said, you know, the way is wide and the path is narrow. Mm -hmm. And very few are going to find that. The majority are not, you know. And so I just think that's always been true throughout society. But for the ones that God calls, I think that if, if we will just 
be good people and love people and hang out with them mm -hmm. and be friends, boy, that buys a lot of goodwill. Yes, yes, and yes. ones that are interested, they'll respond to yeah, that. Because yeah. that's what Jesus did. Think about this. He chose he chose 12 disciples that they might be with him. Mm -hmm. They just hung out with him for three years. And it made all the difference in the world yeah, yeah, for yeah, those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think it's the, I mean, if I, I don't I mean like to use labels, but it's the ministries that we identify that we do, you know, because when I think about whether whatever other group of people, how they express their faith, one thing that's always, uh, so don't drop me, churches of Christ is that I always thought about these interfaith councils, how we present ourselves. For example, when other ministers or other church members are out marching for what we would consider Christian causes, mm -hmm. where are the members of the Church of Christ? Mm -hmm. I was thinking, for instance, let's go out to the United States so that we, I don't want to bring it back here because that's not the issue. Whether in Paris when ice is struck, and so you have a rabbi, mm -hmm. and so you have Presbyterian. Mm -hmm. what would, would it have been a sin if the Church of Christ ministers would have linked arms? I think those kinds of ways that, um, yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that we believe in Presbyterian or Episcopalian, but where do we stand on those mm -hmm. issues? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying I would stand in front of an abortion clinic and get shot at. Ain't gonna happen. But I, I do believe that, as, I mean, in the scriptures, and you're right, when Jesus came, he went to all kinds. So I'm not saying, and Church of Christ said, I always have a jailhouse ministry circuit. <laughs> so where do we stand in terms of, we talk about Jesus. Jesus stood for, not political, I, this is not political. Yeah. Well, it's social justice. It's educational justice. It's those kinds of things that we seem to encapsulate it here, not here, this physical here. But how do we, and what I was thinking about most recently, there's a class going on about faith leaders. And I'll stop it at that. And almost every face up TV because they're selling those rags again. But, <laughs> but it, it does, I mean, it, it, and it makes it easy for people. There are people who still don't, exactly as you said, I totally get what you're saying, that they don't know God like we know God. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's not about getting, you're right, it's narrow. But if, I just think that, like that joke, and I'll leave it at this, when you get to the, to the gates of heaven, they said Peter's there, and he takes people all around and goes, here's here. They said, who's that over there? It says Church Christ, they think they're the only I think, you, I think you hit it on the head. The principle that, that we, we, we probably need to work on, not only us, but every church, is, 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 is inclusion. How do we include? How do we include? Because that's what Jesus was all about. So, we're, yeah. yeah. I know you're not. With the relatives, I think the greatest uh, theology there is, is, is the one that speaks a lot of us, is, is to love people and hang out with mm -hmm. people and be mm -hmm. friends. Yeah. And eventually, you're going to see this. It's like we met a couple when we traveled to China. Mm -hmm. became good friends mm -hmm. with them. We just went to Chicago and hung out with them and did some business with them. And, uh, uh, and, and so when we were on, uh, on the bus on Easter, it's the first, the first Sunday in my life I've not been in church on Easter. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I heard some other people say that. And my business partner and I said, you know, it would be really good if maybe we had a prayer. And somebody says, well, you have your Bible, but what, what, what you read the scripture? And so I got a chance to get up and read the gospel story. 
you know, and and uh, and our Chinese bus the first time she's ever heard God's word spoken, mm -hmm. you know, and, and 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 so I sit back down next to this couple from Chicago, and she's just in tears, mm -hmm. you know, and and, and we've maintained a, a friendship, and so when we were in Chicago, we we invited them to go to church, but they said they didn't go. When we got out, they said, "How was the church service? They do good." And I thought it was great, and I explained it to them. And, now they started asking us to pray for them. It all comes out of this. Out of this, people people know when you're loving them and when you're just tolerating them. When you're ignoring them, people know that. Yeah. Smell, yeah, you know? yeah. And people and, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Exactly. Right? But then you better know something. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> eventually you're going to ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, I love the discussion. We we have, I mean, this, I, I think we need to pause because this next section is just, this is what I really wanted to hit on because of 1 Corinthians 14, 34, right? Let your women keep silence in the churches, right? So I wanted to go into this whole thing. Mary, you need to stop it, right? Uh, you know, and how do we and how do we process this? <laughs> because um, it it goes into where does it go? It goes into our classic text that we use all the time. Let everything be done decently and in order. So if we're thinking in terms of the spirit and manifestation of speaking tongues and the Holy Spirit and of healings and stuff like that, Scripture says God is not a God of confusion or chaos, right? But then I think we take that to a serious extreme, right? And we make it so rigid, in fact, where God didn't want it to be that rigid. So we make our services just like this. Our, even our pews are lined up perfectly like this down in the row. And I'm wondering if that's not necessarily what God meant. And then he speaks to this, this powerful section where it starts to talk about women and things of that nature. And I wanted to hit on that tonight, but I don't think we have the time to do that. I really want to give it some time and maybe we hit on that um, next week. Um, and I want to end on this. The Holy Spirit doesn't cause you to lose control. So if you can, if you, if there is one, if there's a thesis statement for tonight, the Holy Spirit does not cause you to lose control. You don't get the Holy Spirit. And just, ah, it doesn't work that way. That's what yeah, we're, we're kind of um, in the past and, and today. I think we're we're afraid of uh, of expressing ourselves sometimes because we don't want to be. That's my whole point. That side of the right, the fence, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah, and I'm saying that's right. So we go to extremes. It's either. Ah, like you're mad, like Mary would say. You're mad, or it's... Yeah. Like, no amen. Right, 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 right. And if somebody... Oh, what, what is that? You know, so we have to find that balance. But we're going to hold off because I really want to get to the section on, on women and, and keeping silent and what does all that mean and how does that apply to us today. Some people say it's cultural, but if it's not cultural, what does it mean? So we're going to hold off on that because this is a big discussion that we, we, we probably need to spend some time with uh, next time. So, yeah, well, thank you guys. For